Welcome to The New Intellectuals. My name is Jordan Camp. I'm Director of Research at the People's Forum, a movement incubator and an educational and cultural space in New York City. This podcast is made possible through a collaboration between the People's Forum and Pluto Press. In this episode, I speak with actor and director Sudanva Deshpande about his book, Hollabol, The Death and Life of Safter Hashmi, published by Leftward Books. You can find The New Intellectuals every month wherever you subscribe to your podcast as well as on Pluto and the People's Forum websites. Without further ado, Sudanva Deshpande. I'm really delighted to be here with Sudanva Deshpande, an actor, theater director, managing editor of Leftward Books, and author of the new timely and important book, Halabol, The Death and Life of Safdar Hashmi, also out from Leftward. And Halabol, which means raise hell, uh, recounts the life and revolutionary legacy of Safdar Hashmi, a founding member of Jan Natya Manch, i.e. the People's Theater Front, or Jenem, and his tragic assassination in 1989. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Sudavna. I'm very pleased to be here, thank you. Welcome, and congratulations on the publication of your first single-authored book. It's a major achievement, and thank you. Uh, we're delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you about it today. So I just wanted to start by asking, you know, how did you come to the project, and who is Safdar Hashmi, and why did you choose to write a book about him? I was a teenager, still in school, um, in high school, when I first saw a Jannatimanj play. Now, this is a street play. It happens in the open. There's no sets, there are no elaborate arrangements. People just come together and the audience forms a kind of an impromptu circle and the actors are right amongst the audience. There's nothing, there's no curtains, there's nothing. And the play begins. Mm. And I remember the first time I saw a street play by Janam and I was like blown. I said, wow, because till that time, my idea of theater was it happens inside a theater in a playhouse you know, with a stage and with lights and properties and sets and this and that. And here it was just the human body and the human voice and ideas and superb performances, just absolutely very powerful, wonderful performances. I was very struck by that. But, and then, you know, my mother was a communist. She was an activist. My sister was a student uh, activist in those days. And my father, was a Marxist intellectual and playwright. So all three of them knew Safdar and the rest of them in, in Janam. So I don't really remember when I first met Safdar or when I was introduced to him, but I just became friends with him. And even though he was 14 years older than I was at that time, and at, you know, at that age, it really, that 14 years matters. When you're like 16 and the other guy is 30, right? It's a substantial difference in age. So despite that, we just became friends and it was, wonderful to speak to him. He was a very gregarious, outgoing, fun guy, but who knew how to listen to people. He was really interested in what I had to say, what I was reading, what I was watching, and so on. And I'd have these long conversations with him randomly at some play or, you know, somewhere I'd, I'd bump into him at a, at a demonstration or something. And for a long time, he kept saying, because I used to also do theater myself, he used to keep saying to me, well, why don't you come and work with us? And I was like, yeah, right, I, I will. But you know, the street theater stuff is like, mm, you know, it's nice to watch, but that's not who I want to be. I want to be an actor, you know. I took myself very seriously. And then through a series of coincidences, I just ended up doing a play. 
uh, with Janam and I loved it. I joined Janam in the summer of 1987. That's the first time I worked with Janam. And then a year and a half later, Sabdar was killed when we went to perform. And it was a turning point in my life because I was there when it happened. But even if I had not been there at the moment of the attack, uh, the fact that Sabdar was killed for performing a play is something that shook me very deeply. And I don't think I realized the import of what had happened at that point to me. But I now realize that it changed my life completely. And at least for the last 25 years, I've been thinking of this book. But it was an awfully hard book to start writing. When I did start writing, it flowed very easily. But till the point of writing the first, like the first paragraph, it was awfully hard to write this book because I couldn't figure out how to structure the book. I thought that I would write a conventional biography of Sabtar, you know, his life. And I just wasn't able to. I didn't know where to start. Do you start with his birth? He was born on 12th April, you know, whatever. Family, this, that. Or, and then I wasn't sure, you know, what do I do when I come to the points where I was a participant in that story? You know, what do I do? But Sabtar's killing was a major landmark moment in the cultural and artistic history of India, as well as in the history of activism in India. And that's the reason why 31 years after his death, he still continues to be an iconic figure on the left. You know, lots of young people are inspired by what he did and his life and his work. But, you know, it's three decades later, and a lot of young people were born much after his death. So they don't know the details of his life. They know him as a figure as an icon, you know. I mean, I felt this for a long time, but I felt like you had to put out the story about the detail of his life, especially amongst young people. So this book is really written with a young readership in mind. I've written it for people who are now on the streets, protesting students and others. Of course, it's meant for others as well, but the primary readership that I had in mind were young people. So I wanted to tell a compelling story, not to bore them with detail, but to tell a human story, a compelling story, and a political story. So the book is part intellectual history of Safdar Hashmi. It's part a memoir of your own life. And then it's part what we might describe as a biography of a conjuncture. And the current conjuncture, of course, marked by uh, a crisis of capitalism, the resurgence of fascism, and the massive repression of particularly student protests in India right now against this new citizenship law. And so I wonder if you could talk about the, the intervention that you make, as well as the form, the decision about form. Well, <clears throat> at the moment, things are burning in India. Uh, there are several campuses which are seeing large-scale protests of a scale that we haven't seen for decades. And some of these campuses are very elite campuses, which don't generally protest, right? So it's a very special moment at the moment. There's this campus of the Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi, which is a campus I grew up on because my dad used to teach there. I know the campus intimately. Uh, it's one of the most front-ranking universities in, in India. And this university and everything that it represents, including its student movement, but also an intellectual tradition of inquiry, of critique, of debate, uh, and all of that has been under intense attack from the Hindu right wing, at least for the last four years systematic, one after the other. Some of these attacks are physical, some of these attacks are 
administrative, some of these attacks are intellectual and so on. The most recent case is that on the 5th of January this year, a large number of criminals, right-wing, armed uh, and masked criminals invaded the campus and attacked students. In particular, they targeted left-wing students and Muslims. They also attacked some faculty members who went there to try and protect students. And truly, this is unprecedented. Even in a country like India, which has seen a lot of violence over the years, over the decades, in India, not all politics is non-violent. There's a lot of violent politics, right? Mm. But this marks a new law. As the preeminent Marxist historian Irfan Habib has said recently, invading a campus and attacking students, going into libraries as it happened in, in the Jamia Milia Islamia, um, uh, going into hostels as it happened in both JNU and the Aligarh Muslim University, this level of attack is something that we did not even see in colonial times by the colonial state. This is a big moment. It's a watershed moment. It is unprecedented. And the radicalism of the students, their spirit to fight, their determination to not let this pass is exemplary. To just give one example amongst many hundreds, the president of the JNU Students' Union Aishi Ghosh, who's my comrade, you know, um, she was attacked. They, they, they hit her on the head with iron rods and they broke her arm. It's fractured. With all of that, the next day she was back on campus, addressed a large body of students and press people. And she said something very inspiring. She said, we will not give an inch, you know. And my hair stood on end. I said, this is where the spirit of Sabdar Hashmi lives, you know. These are the comrades I wrote this book for, and future comrades like that. The book is organized into three sections. And in the second section, you describe the role of Safdar Hashmi as a theorist of street theater. And then you situate street theater as a product of working class and left movements, really since the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. So, I guess the question's in two parts. One, if you could talk about his theory of street theater and how it emerges out of the revolutionary socialist cultures of the, of the 20th century. Um, it's interesting, you see, because India, given the climate that it has, has had a long tradition of outdoor performance. In fact, our theatrical traditions across the country, in, 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 in large parts of the country, have evolved forms that are very amenable to and open to being performed in the open, you know, in a temple yard maybe, or under the sky at a village square, in a field, and so on. So traditionally, you could say that a certain kind of street theater has always existed, right? And when, when most people are asked about street theater, theater people, when they're asked about street theater, they say, oh, this is nothing new. We've done it for, for centuries. At that level, it's true. What Safdar did and what he insisted upon is that he said, well, how do you think of street theater? Is it only a question of form or is it also what you're saying through it? And this content of street theater is something that is political. It is self-consciously political. It aligns itself with people's movements. In particular, it comes out of movements of the left. You know, so he then traces the history of street theater, the modern street theater across the world 
and he, he marks the beginning of that, 1918. On the first anniversary of the Russian Revolution, there was a restaging of the taking of the Winter Palace, right, in St. Petersburg. And it was restaged. Many of the participants in that restaging were people who had participated in the actual event one year ago. And some of the finest theatrical minds of that time were involved in making this happen, this restaging. And Sardar says, you know, that's where the tradition of street theater begins. It also begins with, for instance, the huge effort that the Soviet Union and the, and the new revolutionary government in the Soviet Union uh, made to, to spread literacy. And literacy was not just a matter of learning how to read and write, but literacy was also a cultural literacy. It was also a political literacy. So there were these trains that would go into the far corners of Russia, right? And these trains, the outside of the train itself would be painted by some of the leading artists of the time. And, you know, the insides would be, one coach would be a library, the other coach would be, you know, a theater space, and another would be a music place, and so on, right? And these trains would go all over Russia, and they would, you know, stop at various places, and peasants would come, and they would read books, and watch films, and theater, and music, and so on and so forth. So his point is that you have to understand that street theater, the way we understand it today, the form that it has today, is something that is political, self-consciously political. And it plays the role culturally that, for instance, the political pamphlet or the political poster plays politically or organizationally. Um, in fact, in one of his notes, it's, it's not a published note, it's a, um, he talks about how street theater is the newspaper of the poor, right? And that's what it is, because it's, it's something that is possible to do with no investment. But it broadcasts its, its message to people and gets a contrary view to what they get from the capitalist corporate media. And so I find it really exciting uh, that Sabtar was thinking about street theater and thinking about how to theorize street theater at the very moment that they started doing street theater. In 1978, when they did their first play called Machine, within four months of that, he had already written a note that was circulated amongst comrades about their experience of finding this new form. And it's not new in the sense that, I mean, I say that they invented the form. That doesn't mean that they were the first people to do it. But they invented the form in the sense that they had no example to fall back upon. They just created something out of their own need. What's interesting, of course, is that the same form is invented around the same time, in fact, in the same year, in the same month, in Karnataka, which is, you know, 1800 kilometers away, right? And so there's another group called Samudaya, which does the same thing, you know, and the form is strikingly similar. Now, Samudaya didn't know about what Janatimanch was doing. Janam didn't know what they were doing. They learnt about each other only a couple of years later. But it's so interesting that the same time, the same historical moment, produced the same form, and they both came to it independently. So they both invented it. But, they, but the idea of invention here is not to say, this is, num this is the first person to do it, this is the second, you know. That's not the point I'm making. But they invented it in the sense that they had nothing, they had no examples to fall back upon. They were not taking something and copying it or adapting it. They just created something out of nothing. 
and I find that very exciting. So the book introduces us to this very rich cast of characters. I mean, it's, you know, the story of Safdar Hashmi is the story of Janam, and then as the theater scholar Shoni Mitra uh, mentioned last night in her comments at your launch, we really um, learn about the culture of working class politics uh, in India that Janam represents, but also, you know, less well-known characters. One of the central characters in the story is Mala, who is at the time uh, Safdar's partner. Can you talk about Mala's role in the story? I should say that, that one of the things I was struggling with earlier when I was not able to write the book is, you know, how do I deal with the figure of Safdar? Because clearly Safdar is a heroic figure and his death was heroic. There's no question about it. And he's, he's also a, a fantastic artist and he's an intellectual and he's a fine thinker, a really sophisticated, fine, subtle thinker. And he's a communist. And to add to all of that, he's also a very charming, very attractive man, right? So it's rare that all of this comes together in one person, but it did in him. And he was an actor and singer and lyricist and dramatist and a thinker about the theater and a photographer and a designer and organizer. There was nothing that he couldn't do. And everything he did, he did well. You know, he excelled at everything. Now, what happens with a figure like that is that it's very easy to idolize somebody like that. I'm, I'm unashamed in my admiration for the man. I admired him while he lived. I continue to admire him all my life. Right? But the question that I wanted to ask was, what made Safdar who he became? So it was very important for me to think about the movements he was part of, the people he was inspired by, the people he was affected by, the people that he uh, worked with. And so I wanted to tell the story of Safdar as part of a collective. And of course, here's this outstanding person. But that outstanding person is still part of a collective and he's part of a movement, right? His art was at the service of the working class. And this is something that he used to say, you know, self-consciously articulated in these words, that my art is for the working class. And so I wanted to understand and I wanted to talk about what does that mean? What do you mean when you say my art is at the service of the revolutionary classes? Practically, what does it mean? And so therefore, I had to understand in some detail, in some nuance and in some granular sort of, I had to give a granular sense of what that means in practice not just as a theoretical position, you know, but in practice, what does that mean? It means that you produce art for the movement. It means that, of course, you are, you, you're motivated by your own ideas and your own take on the world and what you think is wrong with it and so on and so forth. But if comrades come to you and say, you know, comrade, in our trade union struggle, we want to play like this, you produce that play. You don't say, oh, right now I'm not feeling inspired to write this play. I'll wait for inspiration. No, you need the play now. In one week's time, we need the play, comrade. You produce the play and you do the best that you can and you try and always exceed your best, right? You push yourself to do the very best that you can and one step further. So Sabdar was that kind of person. Now he was surrounded by a whole lot of very remarkable people, one of whom in his own lifetime kind of stayed a little bit in the background. She was not in the public eye as much, which is Molloy Shri Hashmi, 
or Mala, as we call her, though she hates being called Mala, because she's got such a beautiful name, no? Moloishri. It's just a mouthful, and we are lazy, so we call her Mala. But um, so Mala was a militant uh, artist well before she she became, you know, deep friends with Sadhvir. She was also a teacher, and deeply committed to teaching young children. As she puts it, her job, I mean her, her work in education, was to help children learn. So she had to learn how to help children learn. And she was an extraordinarily good teacher. I've met a lot of her former students. And you know, decades later, it's like, oh, Moloshri auntie, she was the best, you know. And across the board, like generations of students, and I wanted to think about her life as well. She's somebody I've known intimately for many, many, many years. So I have some sense of her life after Sadhvir. But I did also want to understand what her life was before uh, his death. And I wanted to understand... So Sadhvir wrote a lot for children as well. He was a very fine children's writer. He produced poetry, he produced plays for children uh, in Hindi for the most part. And I knew, generally I knew that he had done it because Mala would ask him to write something. But I really wanted to understand how that happened. He also did a lot of work on, he wrote a television series on literacy. And at that time I had seen some of it, you know, I didn't remember much. When I saw it now again, as part of the research for the book, I realized, oh my God, there's so much of what he learned from Mala, you know, in her pedagogical methods, what she was doing with her kids in school, in class. A lot of that comes into his writing. So he's learning from her. One of the, the, the themes that runs through the book, and I think runs through Savdar's and Mala's lives, is the importance of organization. And Savdar was a superb organizer, and Mala is too. She's an extraordinarily good organizer. Extraordinary. Now Mala, anybody who's seen Mala perform, knows that she's a fantastic actor. She's just so powerful and so, mm, you know. But not many people outside of the group, outside of Janatimans, know what a good organizer she is. And not many people know that the, the daily life of a theater group, or of any organization actually, uh, is impossible unless you have people like that, who are deeply committed to making things happen. And who, who, who think ahead, and who are willing to put a lot of time, effort, energy, and creativity in their organizational work. And I did want to bring all of that out. I should also just add, for viewers who may not know the story, is that the attack on Jannatimanj happened on the 1st of January, 1989. Uh, Savdar died in hospital on the night of the 2nd of January. On the 3rd was his cremation, which was a massive, 15,000 people came for it. It was a massive political demonstration of outrage. On the morning of the 4th of January, we went back, less than 48 hours after Sadhguru had died, we went back to that same spot and performed the same play. Whose idea was it? It was Mala's idea. Mm. And that's an iconic moment. Many, many people know and many people admire Mala for that moment. But one of the things that I, I felt like I had to tell the story of is to say that, you know, of course that's an iconic moment. Of course it's a moment of in incredible heroism. It's something I can't even imagine, although I was there and I took part in that performance. But I was like in a state of shock. I didn't know what the hell was happening. 
I couldn't think straight. I just was there like a robot, you know. Uh, it was Mala who said to us that we have to go back and we have to perform. There's no question. We just had to do it. And uh, so Mala is rightly uh, known for that performance, for that iconic performance, for the great act of courage and resilience and all of that. But I, I do feel that I wanted to tell the story that would give context around that act. And it's easy sometimes, I feel like, it's easy sometimes to reduce people to one moment of uh, some great action. But what makes that moment possible? What is the years of work that go into making that moment? And I did want to tell that story as well. So this book is, while it says it's about the death and life of Safdar Hashmi, in my head I was very conscious when I was writing it that it's about a whole lot of other people and in that, the second most important character in the book has to be Mala. There was no question about it. So you, you named the book after the play Halabol and you end the book with a copy of the play and I, I wonder if I could ask you to read from it for our audience. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I should just also say that the, the title of the play and therefore of the book Halabol translates as, I mean I've translated it as, as raise hell. Mm -hmm. uh, it's awfully hard to translate this by the way. Halabol uh, could also be translated as attack. You know, uh, it could also be translated as, the literal translation would be, say attack. Yeah, so. But this phrase, Halla Bol, is a much older phrase. This is not invented by Sabdar or not, you know. It, it refers to a much longer history of protest and dissent and so on. In fact, there's a very fine song in which the refrain is Halla Bol. And it's a much older song. It's from the 1940s mm. as part of our anti-colonial struggle and so on. So, I mean, Safdar then, then, then takes that phrase and uses it as the title of, of the play that we made. This is the play that we were doing on the 1st of January when we were attacked. So then, when I was thinking about the title of the book, there was just no question in my head. Because Hallabol, the phrase has now also, of course it has an independent life. It's used all the time, even now in Delhi and elsewhere, uh, students and others are using this slogan, Hallabol. You know, and that's great because it has a life that is independent of everything. But there's also a way in which Sabda's life and this phrase have got kind of coupled together, <laughs> right? So in my head, there was no question. I just had to use it um, as the title of the of the book. The book has been published in English and Hindi, mm. and I was also sure that even the English edition should have this title, not raise hell. Right because it's just so iconic and it's so evocative for us in South Asia. So yeah, so I'd be very happy to read a, a, read the beginning of the, of the play, in fact. So the actors are in a circle. Uh, one actor gets up and he starts a procession with a red flag in his hand and he's shouting slogans. The others join him. They all hold red flags and they're shouting slogans. And, and so the narrator says, workers, stand up for your rights. Comrades, stand up to resist. And there's a song that goes against oppression and exploitation, we raise our might, hear our clarion call, we shall not cease to fight. How long will you oppress us? How many imprison in your jails? We shall fight, we shall resist, we shall surely prevail. So one actor who's wearing a, the uniform of a cop, uh, he comes in and stops this procession. Uh, and so the cop says, stop, 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 I say, stop, stop shouting. Hey, hey, didn't you hear me? What did I tell you? Hey, Mr. Revolutionary, shut your gob. 
Oh, you won't listen easily, eh? Padak! You scoundrel! What are you up to? Sir, we are, we are going to perform a play. Play? You think I'm a fucking idiot? No, sir. So? So what? So what? Is this the way to do a pile? Shouting slogans, raising red, red flags, holding posters. Get lost this minute, you bastards, or I'll put you all in jail. Please believe us, constable, sir. We are only doing a play. You know, you can ask all these people here. We are all artists, actors of Jannatimanch. Yes, Jannatimanch of international fame. Hmm, I see. So you're doing a pile? Yes, sir. All right, all right, go ahead. But do a really good one, huh? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Just, just move aside a bit. We'll start now. All right, come on, everybody. Long live the revolution. CITU, long live. Hey, hey, what is all this? Do your pile. The pile I said. No slogan shouting. But, sir, our play calls for this action. Your play calls for slogans? Eh? But slogans are not allowed in this area. We have strict orders ever since the seven-day strike took place. It's an order from the SHO Sahib. Arrest anyone who even mentions the CITO immediately without asking for any explanation. But sir, we have to raise slogans in our play. Yes, yes, Constable Sahib, slogans are absolutely essential for our play. No! I will not allow it in my area. Then? Then what? Then how do we do the play then? You bastard! Do I have to explain how? Do it as a normal play with a love angle, with the lover quoting his beloved, some song and dance, some jokes, some comedy, you know, some this, some that. Huh? 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 Understand? Yes, understood. What? A play about lovers. Yes. But no slogans. Yes, no slogans. All right, sir. As you order, we'll show you a play about lovers. So, friends, Constable Sahib here does not allow us to do a revolutionary play. So, we'll show you a play about love. And that's how the love story begins in the play. Beautiful. Sudavna, thank, thank you, you so much. Uh, we've been thrilled to speak with you about Holobo, the death and life of Saptar Hashmi, out from Leftward Books. You're welcome uh, at TPF anytime. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank pleasure you so much. Pleasure is ours. Thank you. You have been listening to The New Intellectuals with Jordan Camp. You can find The New Intellectuals every month wherever you subscribe to your podcast, plutobooks.com, and tpf.link forward slash TNI and the People's Forum YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening.